Revelation chapter 21 and verse 7. Kind of just a token beginning to this series. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 7. There it says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to bless this entire study, as a matter of fact. Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord, tonight, knowing that we can come before the Almighty God expectantly, boldly, Father, as we come before your throne of grace, knowing, Lord, that you do give help, Father, and help is found in your word. Father, it doesn't hardly matter what it is that we study at times. We can find help for any situation, any circumstance, Father, just by going to your word and receiving for a time. Lord, that bread of life that satisfies. Father, help us to be satisfied tonight. Help us to be satisfied in the coming weeks, should you tarry long enough, Lord, that we see this to completion. I pray that you would bless us by it, Father. Grow our faith in it, Lord, and help us to find that desire in our hearts daily, even moment by moment, Lord to overcome, to be victorious, and to win Jesus, Father. Help that to be our desire and our purpose and our joy in life. Beginning even now, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Saints, I know you're familiar if you've been around here for very long at all. You understand that I speak often about the need we have, well, I call it a need, To be victorious in the Lord, to win the Lord Jesus. You know, there are a number of times and a number of different preachers, uh, well, everywhere, everywhere, that spend a lot of time dedicated, well, not to bad subjects necessarily, but spend an exorbitant amount of time invested in things that I don't think the payoff is there necessarily. You have a lot of people that focus and focus and focus and drill in speaking in tongues and focus and focus and focus in the gifts of the Spirit. And while these things are important and all the other things that so often different ones will hammer on and hammer on and hammer on and, and, and base their, well, sometimes it feels like their entire ministry is based on this or that. Those things, the return that comes from the time that's put into those things at the expense of other dare I say, more important or more overarching uh, considerations, the time that is spent in those things, well, you don't have that, uh, that as good a return on that investment, I guess you could say. I, I hope you understand. I want to be victorious for myself and the Lord. And I hope you understand by this time that I want you to be as well. Uh, we consider oftentimes, oftentimes the importance that it is to live our lives looking for the Lord Jesus, loving his appearing and living our lives in a manner that demonstrates and reflects that we love his appearing, uh, that we make ourselves ready for it. I want us to live our lives looking to secure that crown of righteousness that he has prepared for us to finish in victory. I believe it's Nearly impossible to place too much emphasis on the need to finish this course in victory. Now, that means investing time into other things that are covered by that umbrella, certainly. But the overarching thing, the overarching purpose, the overarching desire for us is to meet that desire that the Lord has for us to be nearest to him for all eternity. And I don't think you can dismiss that. So, that being said, we're going to consider for the next several weeks 
a specific portion of Scripture. You might have, well, as you can see, I uh, apologize. I've been having some issues with my slides recently, not being large enough for you. But if you look there with your telescopes, you can see there underneath overcomes, it says Revelation 2 and 3. And if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, you recognize in the second and the third chapter of Revelation are those statements that the Lord Jesus told John to share with those seven churches in Asia in that day. There were seven churches in Asia. Uh, there were assemblies that were represented by these different by these different groupings here, but certainly they have a prophetic meaning, a prophetic application to, well, to the church at large, the body of Christ at large today. It speaks to individuals and it speaks to us as individuals today. It speaks of a future representation of a, of a number of people and different factions of the body of Christ in, in days to come. We're going to take it rather individually. Certainly it applies to us as, a, as an assembly. Different assemblies have different personalities, you could say, and different, well, different measures of health and different measures of, of solidity in faith, I guess you could say, overarching. But what it always comes down to is the makeup and composition of the individuals that comprise that assembly. The individuals, if the individuals aren't right, we're all part of the body of Christ, but if the individuals aren't, a, a, well, seeing to their needs and bringing themselves before the Lord to be right before the Lord for themselves, and they don't contribute very much to the assembly or to the body of Christ at large as it is. So, we're going to look at the individual and how these things, well, how these specific statements, actually, getting specific about it. Each one of these seven churches were spoken to by Jesus, and at the end of each respective statement to these ones, there is a... Well, a finishing statement, a finishing statement that speaks to the one who, well, to him that overcomes. Uh, it says pretty much. It has a little bit of a different phrasing in each different one. But it's speaking to him that overcomes or him that will overcome or him that is overcoming. And we can look at it from a lot of different directions and we likely will over the course of the next several weeks. But saints, him that overcomes is a focus and when I say him, I hope you recognize that it means her, she who will overcome, he who desires to overcome, he who desires to have this fullest measure of victory. That's a huge purpose for the Lord Jesus. That is a desire for the Lord Jesus. It is a focus for the Lord Jesus that's reflected from Genesis to Revelation. So we're going to recognize the importance of overcoming in Scripture, that it's made clear. We're going to recognize it's the purpose of our life to seek this overcoming and to seek it in its fullest measure. And we're going to recognize that it's Jesus' desire for us. And we need to say, have no other reason for it other than that. Um, but there are plenty of other reasons at that. Um, we're going to look at these different scriptures here. You know, I wasn't going to, but I think that I will. I think I will. We're going to read each one of these closing passages, uh, these closing, closing statements to each respective church in order here, I don't know that we're going to consider them over the course of the weeks in this order that they're laid out. We might, but we'll just look at it here briefly. Uh, if you look at Ephesians, or not Ephesians, it's speaking of the Ephesian church in Revelation 2 and verse 7. You'll start to see a pattern here as we read these. Revelation 2 and verse 7, speaking to the Ephesian church, it says there, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. 
If you step down here to the 11th verse of Revelation chapter 2, he speaks to the church in Smyrna. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. If you have a Bible like mine, you can turn the page and look at verse 17 of the second chapter there. He speaks there to the church at Pergamos. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Stepping down to verse 26, we'll read down to 28. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. And I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. That was to the church of Thyatira. In chapter 3 and verse 5, we see the fifth one speaking to Sardis. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Verse 12 of chapter 3, speaking to Philadelphia. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him... My new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then lastly, in verse 21, speaking to that church in Laodicea, to him who overcomes, in verse 21 of chapter 3, I will grant to sit with me, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're going to consider each one of these things, and ultimately we're going to put them together and consider what all it means for him or her that overcomes. Now understand as you, well, I don't know if perhaps this was the first time that you've read those. There might be some young enough in the Lord or young enough, just naturally speaking, that that was the first time you've ever considered those or looked, read those verses. You can tell that there's some imagery in there involved, certainly. It's the book of Revelation, so imagery is no no stranger to the book of Revelation, it's going to be some measure of prophecy. And with prophecy, there's always mystery. There's always some measure of unknown. So will I have all the answers to all of the different things here? No, and I want to make that plain from the outset. Uh, I learned early on that, well, you have to recognize when to say, I don't know. And so there will be some things that I don't know. Um, But that being said, uh, we can establish a pretty solid framework of the things that the Lord promises to those ones who will overcome. What a blessing it is to win Christ and the things that will associate that victory with that victory. So, uh, let me say from the outset, we want this. If you don't want it, let me encourage you to pray for the desire to finish your life as a full overcomer. Now, that being said, uh, full overcomer is not a phrase that you see in Scripture per se. Uh, There might be a translation out there that might have it, but I didn't go looking for one. I'm confident there isn't that phrase in the New King James, certainly not the Old King James. But for the sake of understanding and for the sake of just keeping ourselves on the right, uh, well, establishing ourselves well, let's determine what this word overcome means by itself. In the New Testament, overcome, and in our own English language, it's the same. It's a Greek word, nikeo. I'm not going to try to 
pronounce it any clearer than that. But it means to conquer or to prevail or to vanquish or to win or to have victory, uh, to conquer over something, uh, to, to, to win. And this word's used 28 times in Scripture, at least. Now, there are other derivatives of it that we might find elsewhere, but at least seven of those times we just read here in Revelation 2 and 3. And as you look through Scripture and you find these other, <clears throat> some of these other places, these other locations where it's presented, you start, well, obviously, you start getting a rather victorious feel about those things. I'll give you a couple of them. John 16 and verse 33. It's a rather uh, glorious term, a glorious consideration. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, or conquered the world, or prevailed over the world, or vanquished the world, right? Romans 12, 21, you don't have to turn there because I'll beat you to the end of it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a measure of conquering that's involved. I like winning. My competitive nature has diminished some as I've gotten older and perhaps not had the real need to compete in things so much these days. I'm glad I don't have the promotional processes to go through anymore. I don't want that headache. Didn't necessarily like myself when those days came. But winning in the right context and in the right place, particularly good versus evil. Listen, there were days back when my kids wrestled my boys wrestled, and, and man, it felt like good versus evil. Sometimes, you know, in, in my mind, you know, at one time there was good versus evil because a kid cussed at Eli one time. He went out there, and, and they were waiting for the ref, and this kid said a naughty word to Eli, and Eli came over and said, Eli, get over here. There's a kid's over there doing this sort of thing, you know, and, and waiting for the ref. I said, what did, he, what did he say to you? And, and Eli says, I think it was bad. He said, well, he might have said it. I don't, I don't recall. But he let me know what he said. And so I told Eli, well, you know what, Eli? You know what that word means? It means that he thinks your mama's ugly. And he thinks, he thinks, <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just leave it at that. You know, I, I carried on in that vein for a little bit. And pretty soon I saw his lip quiver and a little wetness come into his eye. And I'm like, this might be counterproductive here, man. He's going to, he smoked that kid. Man, he went out there and. Man, he let that kid he let that kid have it. But other than that, other than that, that's not really good versus evil. That's that's just a good kind of a good solid win there. But when it comes to good versus evil, listen, there's no shame. There's no shame in being quite competitive against the things that are the enemies of God. There's no shame in wanting to win to win and be victorious over such things as sin and the agents of sin. And when the Lord offers us this capability of overcoming, of sharing in this vanquishing, sharing in the power of this conquering, and sharing in this victory of prevailing over the world and over our enemies, and even to a measure over this flesh of ours, saints, I want to take that, don't you? I want to have that victory, and I don't have any shame in that at all whatsoever. I'm not beating Jim to get to the Lord's closest place. I'm not beating any of you. It's not me keeping you down so that I can have that place. There's no competitive nature between God's people. It is a matter of, well, taking hold of the victory that the Lord has for us over sin, over evil, over all of the things that are associated with it, and winning. And I like that kind of winning. So, 
That being said, I want to overcome, and not just overcome to a certain measure, but fully. Now, for us to recognize that there is a measure of fully overcoming, since we consider that term a full overcomer, well, does that mean that there's a half-full overcomer? To a measure, yeah. To a measure, there is. There, it, you can overcome to a measure. And what do I mean by that? I'm not going to go into his story, but from a number of different times, I know that I've told the story of, of a man named Adam Brown. He's a Navy SEAL. Grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, kind of a crazy guy. I identified with him. That's why I kind of liked his story. Just crazy, kind of did stupid things when he was younger and got up into college, and he did stupider things as he got away from home. Fell in with the wrong crowd, as crazy guys tend to do. Got with the wrong girl. Got into drugs. Next thing you know, he's laying on the floor of a crack house. Completely strung out on crack. This good-natured Christian home kid. Uh, and, and he was all washed up and throwing his life away. And he knew that he had to do something different. People, he'd disappear for days at a time. And he'd be in some place where he didn't even know the people other than he had bought the drugs from them and he was sleeping on their grimy floor. I've been in places like that. Uh, in the job, certainly. Uh, it's not... Yeah. I need to qualify a little bit better. I've been in places like that, professionally speaking. Uh, and the way that they describe it, it's, it... I mean, the way that he described it... I read his book, or read the book about him, and that sort of thing. Anyway, all of that to say, it was a bad situation. And so he said, I need to find an outlet. I need to get clean. And so he found the Lord, became a Christian, went and became a Navy SEAL, went through all of the training, and he excelled at it. And once he became a SEAL, he became one of the top shelf, most highly decorated Navy SEALs before he was killed in combat. One of, one of the most highly decorated ones, I mean, accomplished things through injury and through disability that I won't even go into. It was an amazing story. He overcame so much. Just on a natural level, leave the spiritual things aside for a second. On a natural level, he overcame so much just in that addiction that was there. And after he was decorated and after he'd gone on a number of different missions and had a beautiful wife and beautiful children, beautiful family and beautiful situation, they went home to Little Rock to visit mom and dad and he went and visited a crack house after being clean for years. His wife had to go find him in this place. He fell off the wagon. And then after that, got cleaned up, went back, got, became more decorated as a seal and that sort of thing. My point being that he'd overcome some things, but he hadn't fully overcome that situation, had he? It was still there, right? I mean, it was still there. He didn't have a full, man, I left it behind me completely, and man, it was, no, I was kind of wrecked when I read that part in the book. It was that he had, after he had established, and, ah, everything was great. No, he had not completely Overcome that. He had a measure of good success, naturally speaking. He had overcome a number of things, naturally speaking. It was remarkable, naturally speaking. But he always, I've said it before, he always had it in his mind. He would look at somebody and he says, that's a dealer. And it's, man, it's calling me. He hadn't overcome it completely, not fully anyway. And so it is for us spiritually sometimes. It's possible to overcome to a measure. It's possible to have some victories. It's possible to take good steps and move forward with the Lord. And stop here and go no further. To be a partial overcomer. I have overcome some things. Have we overcome some things in the Lord? Every believer. Absolutely. Getting ahead of myself. But he says, have no fear. I have overcome the world. He has overcome the world. And, and well, you know, I'm going to go there. Let's skip over this passage in Revelation 3 and jump up here to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. 
We read earlier that Christ overcame the world. We read that in John 16, 33. We have that victory too, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Right? And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Do you have faith, child of God? If you're a child of God, you do. It might not be deep, strong, great faith. It might not be quite to the measure that we would like it to be. But you have some measure of overcoming here, some measure of victory. You have the faith that overcomes the world, right? Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Even if you've fallen and tripped over your faith, even if you've gotten into carnality and have all kinds of issues and struggles and that sort of thing, there's a measure of overcoming that you've done already. Through the power and the grace and the faith that was authored in your heart by the Lord Jesus and his work himself in overcoming the world. Listen, there is a measure of overcoming that takes place simply by believing, even if we never take another step. Well, even if we never, never take another step of faith. You can look at these seven churches, and we will over the course of the next weeks, and If I forget to say it at the end, let me encourage you, please read Revelation 2 and 3 and then read it again and become familiar with these churches and the issues that the Lord had with them. And the, not suggestions, the directions that he gave them in dealing with their issues. But you'll recognize that each one of them had, well, things that the Lord was identifying in them, good and bad. Each one of them had things that the Lord was recognizing and teaching them in. You see varying measures of spiritual success, you could say, as you look well from chapter 2 to the end of chapter 3. Now, Philadelphia and Smyrna, there were nothing that the Lord corrected them in as far as chastising them. He didn't say he had anything against them. Laodicea, on the other hand, was well, on the other end of the spectrum, you could say. Neither hot nor cold, the Lord said he was going to spew them out of his mouth, right? But everyone else was kind of in between. Laodicea, here was one of their issues. Nothing to admire here. Because you say I am rich, it says in Revelation 3.17. Let me go back to where I was. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, (laughs) blind, and naked. This is a bad place to be, spiritually speaking. You're not going to overcome a lot when you're wretched, when you're miserable, when you're poor, when you're blind and you're naked, and when you have, well, when, you, when these things characterize you, and yet the Lord offers you not to be wretched, to have peace and joy and not be miserable, riches and glory and even riches to enjoy now, not naturally speaking necessarily, but riches in Him so that you need not be poor. We certainly don't need to be blind. And He's clothed with clothed us with a robe of righteousness, so none of these things need characterize us today as believers. So you find these ones. Well, anywhere from Smyrna and Philadelphia. Here's Laodicea, and then scattered in between here in different measures, different layers of overcoming, I guess you could say. You found these other four. Each one of them, ah, with their issues. Thyatira had, well, good things, told them that they had love, service, faith, and patience. Pergamus held fast to the name of the Lord. We'll consider that here in a little little while, in the weeks to come. But they allowed false doctrine to take hold. Pergamus did. Thyatira compromised themselves in carnality. So on and so forth. You find these different things that were hindering these ones. They were finding themselves, well, shortening themselves in their overcoming. Hindering themselves in their victories. Not taking the victories that the Lord had for them. 
It's not a matter of checking boxes on our way to Jesus. Okay, let me check this one off here. And okay, if I go to church this many times, I can check that one off. And that's my step on to glory. And okay, I need a witness to, oh, what does it say? It says 12 people per month I need to. And if I'm going to win Jesus, okay, check that one. That's not how it works. It's, it's not a check box and now you're in the bride. That's not, you know, it's a matter of seeking the Lord. It's a matter of learning the Lord. Hearing the Lord, looking for the Lord. And as you're hearing Him and learning Him and listening to Him and looking for Him, you realize that you start to love Him, yes? You realize that you start to love Him and, well, you want to seek Him more. You want to pursue Him more. You want to enjoy the fellowship of His sufferings. And there's a paradox that only a believer can really fully understand enjoying the fellowship of His sufferings. That comes by faith. That comes by taking victories when those things come. Saints, we have the opportunity to overcome and overcome fully. We have this privilege to do this. And I'm grateful that we do it. I'm going to skip. We spoke about 1 John chapter 5. You can step down to John chapter 5. Not 1 John, but John chapter 5. We read in 1 John chapter 5 that whatever is born of God overcomes the world. We understand this. The grave won't hold us if you're a believer. When it, when it comes time, I mean, out of, the, out of this present body is to be present with the Lord. But there's going to come a time when our body comes up and separates itself and it's glorified, separates itself from this world. We understand that. That's an overcoming work that the Lord did for all of His children when He overcome, overcame the world. The, Valley of the shadow of death is the most that we're going to face, potentially. And some will not even walk through that valley. We have eternal life. That's a victory that we have in the Lord. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life. It's done. Done deal. We understand this. And shall not come into judgment. Done deal. It's past. That judgment was cast upon Jesus already. And we have also, past tense, passed from death into life. That's a victory that we understand, of course, by, by Jesus. He won it for us. But this isn't the fullest of victory, right? That's, that's where we begin. We say it quite frequently. There's more to it than just salvation, right? That's not the fullest of victories. Yes, we have stepped off. We have entered into life. But Jesus said himself in John 10.10, I have come that they might have life. Done, passed from death unto life, here we are. And now that we have this life, that they may have it more abundantly. And that's where, well, that's where it's left to our doing to a certain measure. Our listening and heeding Him. Faith is offered, authored in our hearts by our simply believing. Abundant life is believing Him and then pursuing Him. Pursuing Him and, and following after the Lord. The world has been overcome by faith. Certainly. It's not going to hold us after death, we understand, but there's much, much more to it. There's abundant life, and it's important for us to pursue this abundance of life, this fullness and completion of victory. It's overcoming fully. Many haven't, and many aren't pursuing this, and many won't, and that's sad. And, well, it doesn't need to be our sadness. It doesn't need to be our characterization. Uh, it should be our purpose, our every purpose. From the moment that we have believed in Jesus, we need to seek to win him. Win him for sure. 
Now, let's step over to Philippians chapter 3. Because we recognize that Paul, our apostle, that one who was given this grace message, he teaches this. He teaches that there is something more to, well, to life. It's abundant life that we're looking for. He wanted to gain Christ. He wanted to win Christ, we understand. That's not the kind of language that's used by someone who's still seeking, well, someone who recognizes that salvation is already taken care of. If, he may, if, if he's saying, I want to win Christ and I want to gain Christ, but he also, also has made plain to us that all we have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus and we'll be saved. What's it speaking about? What's it speaking of? He wanted to win Christ. He wanted to be found in Him, we recognize in Philippians chapter 3. He wanted to know Him and His power and the fellowship of His sufferings, as I mentioned earlier. In verse 11, he goes on to talk about, well, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. The out-resurrection from the dead. There are, well, there's going to be resurrected dead of, of all wicked, sinful, unbelieving, and believers, but there's going to be that body of believers that's going to be brought up He's going to call each one of us up. Those glorified bodies are going to come. And from out of that resurrected body of Christ, that church, He's going to take that bridal company, those ones who have overcome fully. He goes on to say that He's not qualified for it yet at the time of writing Philippians 3. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. I haven't reached that full status yet. But I press on. This was His purpose that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He knew that there was much more to overcome. He knew that it was going to be difficult. He knew that it was going to be through struggle, through suffering, and all of those things. He recognized there would be a price to be paid. He needed to count the cost, and so he did. He was willing to do that. Uh, He says, so that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. This is my purpose. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. If it stopped at salvation, well, if that was it and that was we're, we're walking in, there's nothing left to change, there's nothing left to impact, well, what are you reaching for? Wouldn't you just live your life the way that you chose? Uh, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press. Press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Saints, I trust that well, the vast majority of you, if not all of you, recognize this, that this is a review for you. But it's something that so few of God's people take hold of. So few of God's people, well, leave the things that are behind and that are going to be left behind and press forward because it is just difficult for this flesh to do such things. It's difficult for us to put aside those comforts and difficult for us to put aside the pleasures and difficult for us to burden ourselves sometimes with getting into this when we want to do anything but get into that. But it's what Paul recognizes. It's what Paul implores us to recognize. We need to overcome fully, completely, It's going to be an endurance race, certainly, but it's one worth taking part in. He's told Timothy on the other end of his ministry, Philippians being rather early in comparison, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, he starts to close down his life here. Look how his verbiage has changed when he speaks to Timothy here. Before he said, I do not count myself to have apprehended, not that I have already attained. If by any means I might attain, he says, I fought the good fight. 
I'm at the end of things, and I've had a conversation with the Lord. I, I don't believe he just had a conversation. I believe he had an ongoing dialogue with the Lord, moment by moment, it seems. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then, Well, in the New King James Version, I like in King James, it says, henceforth. But there is certainly a measure of just reality when he says this. Finally, <laughs> finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Now, when I say finally sometimes... You know, I signed my kids back when I used to burden them with the audacity of giving them chores. I'd say, I want this done. Clean up your room. It wouldn't get done. Then you get to the end, you're like, finally, man. What? Come on. How come it's taking so long? I don't think that Paul is looking at the Lord and saying, finally, Lord. I, mean, what took? I think that he looked at himself. And he said, finally. Finally, the Lord has changed me, transformed me molded me and shaped me. It took such a long time of me submitting and yielding myself under his hand. But finally, finally I recognize he's worth it. He's, he's, he's worth it. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but to all those who have checked all the boxes and preached all the messages and witnessed to all the people. Not that it's not important. Gone to church four times a week. Not that it's not important, but of course I'm being sarcastic. Not to me only, but all those who have loved His appearing. Who have just wanted Him to come. And their lives show it. Their lives reflect it. Their lives are lived respective of, I'm looking for Jesus to come and I want to be prepared. That's what He's saying there. It can be a long, drawn-out thing to endure and find that fullness of overcoming. And that can draw impatience, we understand. That can draw despair at times. We can look at ourselves and just be so tired of our garbage, so tired of our issues. If you look at those five churches that the Lord did have issue with, you'll see them as you read Revelation 2 and 3. Well, the Lord corrected them. And they, not really in any gentle language either. He made no bones about it. Some of the things are rather uncomfortable to look at just on a natural level. But he, he identified, he says, look, you have some issues here. You have some struggles here. And then if they're going to look at themselves realistically, you know, honestly, are you going to argue with the Lord with any kind of justification? No. If you're going to go on with Him, if you're going to hear Him and believe Him, then you have to look at yourself and say, well, yeah, I do have some issues. I do have some struggles. And rather than allowing that to discourage you, and rather than allowing that to say, well, I, I'm never going to get any better. I, I'm never going to, what, what can I do? This is who I am. I, this is what I've always been. How can I possibly? No, no. What did the Lord do with these ones? He told Ephesus, you have issues. You're going to lose your lampstand. He told Pergamus, you have issues. I'm going to fight against you with the sword of my mouth. He told Thyatira, you have issues and tribulations coming. He told Sardis, I'll come upon you as a thief. He told Laodicea, shame and blindness and nakedness are what characterize you. You're in trouble, man. All of these churches have issues. And again, they reflect us as individuals at times. We can have any number of issues. And the Lord says, these are the issues that you have. But what did He do with them? He gave them the options, right? He gave them the resolution to the issues. Gave them the solution to the issues. 
If we focus on how big our lack and how big the weights are that are keeping us from winning the Lord, so heavy are these weights. Man, I, you know, it just it just is what it is. I I'm not worthy of it. If we focus on the bigness of our lack, then we're never going to focus on the power of His hand to deliver us from those things. If we focus on just how big the issues are, we aren't going to see His willingness to deliver. Because he didn't leave them with those issues. Yes, he corrected them, but you know whomever the Lord loves, he chastens. What did he tell Ephesus? He said, remember. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. What is that? Unless. This is what you have going on. Unless. This doesn't have to be part of that. You can overcome this. And not only overcome, you can do so fully. Fully. He told Pergamus, repent or else I'll come to you quickly. And we'll fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Thyatira, hold fast what you have till I come. Keep my work until the end, he goes on to say. To Sardis, what was their solution? Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. He made not threats. He just told them what was coming. But he told them the option to do otherwise. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent, he told Laodicea. He doesn't leave those who are not striving for fullness of victory and not striving for fullness of overcoming. He doesn't leave them without an opportunity to press forward. And those ones that were striving... Philadelphia, Pergamus, what did he, or, sorry, Philadelphia and Smyrna, what did he tell them? Be faithful until death and I'll give you a crown of life. Keep going. Keep going. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Keep going. He encourages. He lets them know it's not too big a weight for us. We can, well, we can fully overcome together. Saints, that's how important it is to you. Or how important it should be to you is how important it is to him. He sets out. He identifies them. He sends a message to these different ones. He sends messages to us. He speaks to us by his word. He speaks to us by his people. He speaks to us by his spirit. He speaks to us personally, one-on-one, to let us know. This is where you're coming short. Yes, this is where you're coming short. And the, the payoff for this is not good. But I have an option for you. And that's overcoming and overcoming fully. Therefore, we also, and I'll start wrapping this up, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, great a cloud of witnesses as they spoke about in Hebrews 11, those faithful ones that demonstrated their willingness to, well, to sacrifice just about anything for the glory to be found in the Lord and in themselves. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses and testimonies, let us lay aside every weight, no matter how big, every last one of them, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, no matter how long. It doesn't matter how hilly, it doesn't matter how deep, it doesn't matter how dark it might seem. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. His road was a little bit more difficult than mine is. A little more difficult than mine will ever be. And yet he recognized that the joy of having me at his side was worth doing his road on my behalf. His joy at having you by his side for all eternity at the nearest place was more than joy to him. He was joyful in looking at that 
looking at that shame, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He overcame so that we might lay hold of that overcoming work that he did on our behalf, and ourselves overcome fully. He gives us the right, as soon as we believe and accept him, he gives us the right to overcome fully, to be fully victorious. He wants us to win him, enough that he identifies our issues and gives us the options to withdraw from those issues and get around those things. And when we allow him to author that faith in our hearts and then finish it ongoingly as we continue on in those well, in those small victories, those minor step-by-step type victories that when they come together, they stack up and build a nice, well, a nice structure for ourselves. When we allow him to do that work for us and we hear the issues he has against us, when we hear the solutions that he's trying to offer us, when we hear the encouragement if we walk well and we stack up those victories and allow him to finish our faith and sand us all and finish and polish and all of those things he wants to do, And such things as we read in Revelation 2 and and 3. At the end of each one of these things, these things for him who overcomes, saints, those can be ours. I find them joyful. The things that I understand and the things that he tries to present there for us to understand if we will take the time to seek them out and consider them, meditate on those things and recognize what fullest victory and full overcoming means and what it equals for us then the issues that we have, it makes them, particularly in our new man, so much easier to put off, so much easier to put aside and encourage us and even inspire us, if you want to use such a cheesy word as that, inspire us and compel us to want to win him, to want to be fully victorious. Saints, as I said earlier, I want that for myself. And man, I want it for you as well. Uh, Read Revelation 2 and 3. Make yourself familiar with these seven churches. Make yourself familiar with those last statements that he gives there to each one of those. Well, to let us know that him that overcomes will receive these things and we will consider them and I trust you'll find the joy that I find in those for yourselves. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. That's enough for me right there. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. We'll stop there and we'll pick this back up next Wednesday.